do you know what the absolute blessing is about making an audio podcast? It's the fact that you can hit that record button and you don't even have to bother putting on any clothes or cleaning yourself up. You can just sit in your own filth as well as what I'm doing tonight. Uh, let's get into it. Legends, welcome along to Skimmy Up Body, new episode here. I am currently getting over my second shot of vaccination against uh, COVID-19 and feeling the effects of it in a big bad way. The headache is hanging about and uh, yes, I just feel fairly under the weather at the moment so I'm thankful that <coughs> that I can actually just you know be on a podcast where I don't have to be actually seen so not making much of an attempt at uh, putting any YouTube videos together this week but we're going to get into Star Trek 2009 the reboot of Star Trek I was when this was coming along I was kind of Pretty not against it. I don't want to say I was against it because J.J. Abrams was directing it, and at that point I was a fairly big fan of J.J. Abrams' work, you know. And since then, not so much the case. And uh, his work on Star Trek did actually factor into the fact why I'm not that big a fan of him anymore. But Star Trek from 2009. I actually really dug this film. I really did enjoy it. Uh, but again, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, we're going to be doing a reboot on Star Trek here. They're going to be messing with the classic characters, you know, giving a new group of actors the the front row seats for the, the guys that we grew up with. You know, no Shatner, uh, of course... Leonard Nimoy came back for this film, but of course Spock was recast as well. Now, now, I have to say, as far as casting goes in this movie, fairly happy with it. You know, Chris Payne plays a pretty good James T. Kirk. Uh, Zachary Quinto is actually great as Spock, though you know nobody's going to beat Nimoy. But you know, when it comes to a, a close second. Uh, Quanto isn't bad at all. Um, with Bruce Greenwood on here playing Pike, the the main villain Nero is Eric Bana. Now Bones in this film is very very good. Carl Urban, absolute flipping legend. He's really really good in anything I've seen him in so far. Zoe Saldana is in there as Uhura. Uh, John Chu as Sulu. Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. I did enjoy him in the film as well. But, gotta say, you know, it's not all upside. I have to say, Simon Pegg as Scotty. I was kind of like, what the under God? Were you guys thinking 
casting Simon Pegg as Scotty. Now, I've got nothing against Simon Pegg as an actor or anything he's done up to this point, but for Star Trek and, and especially Scotty, I just I, I just didn't fit with me. Now, if you enjoyed him as Scotty, <coughs> that's all good. That's all fine and well. We're, we've all got our own opinions and we're entitled to them but for me he just was the one thing that definitely did not work in any of these movies the, the comedy that he does bring is good in the movie but I don't know it's just it's not a choice I would have made but anyway the movie itself is actually a pretty damn good time I have to say I definitely when I when I watched this movie, really, really entertaining. The idea of Romulus being and fret in the future from a supernova and Spock trying to create a man-made black hole to save the planet and ties in nicely with the, the lore that we already have for Star Trek. And then something going wrong, and his ship, along with Nero's ship, gets transported into the past, and uh, Nero turns up. Just as Captain Kirk happens to have been born aboard the USS, USS Calvin, and his father, who was uh, number one on the Calvin, is now in command of it, and he does the, you know, a, the ship is lost. He uses the last of the ship's power to throw up the defences, evacuate the ship, get the shuttles out, along with Kirk's mother, while she's in labour, actually giving birth to him. And he takes the ship under ramming speed and the Nero's ship. And uh, that changes the future. You know, creates an alternate turn. turn an alternate timeline I'm so sorry I'm so tired with this job I can barely even speak right now but uh, I did promise I was going to try and put these out every Tuesday and Thursday so uh, alternate timeline happens we skip forward into the future a little bit you know we see uh, Spock and everybody growing up and how they meet each other and uh the Kirk we meet in this film is a lot more reckless than the one we met in the 60s series and throughout the movies. Uh, just because he's he's grown up without a father in this alternate timeline. And uh, there's a few little things that are scattered in through this film that uh, kind of harkens back to uh, St Star Trek Enterprise, I want to say. Like, I don't recall ever reading it or been told about it, but there is a part at the beginning of the movie, earlier on in the movie, whenever we first meet Kirk and he's a, a small child and he's he's nicked his uncle's car and he's out joyriding and uh, the police on this hover motorcycle chases him down, but he loses control of the car and you know it falls into like what looks to be a canyon. But I'm, I'm thinking... And Star Trek Enterprise, was it the Zendi, I want to say? It's been that long since I watched Attack Earth and they blast a big uh, crevice right across the surface of the planet, planet Earth. Now, is that 
the hole left by that weapon. I'm not sure. You know, whenever I was watching it, that was the first thing that sprung to mind. So I thought, okay, a little bit of fan service there. That's good. So, uh, yes, we go on throughout the, the, the movie. We start to meet the other characters and we get a, another look at the, the Kobayashi Maru test and Kirk and Spock button heads over that. But, uh, you know, during his court-martial, more or less, you know, he's pulled in front of the, the higher-ups about cheating on the test, and uh, they get the the call that uh, Vulcan is under attack by some sort of weapon. And uh, there's a little piece on here, and I've never actually checked it for myself. Now, you would think recording a Star Trek podcast. I would go and check this shit out before I start recording, but I didn't. Um, when Enterprise finally arrives at Vulcan, it's behind the rest of the fleet. By the time he gets there, uh, Nero's ship has taken out all the other ships that have gone before them. And in the wreckage in space, never Enterprise is flying through it all. There's supposed to be a little... R2-D2 floating about in space. Now, I've seen a photograph online, but I believe absolutely nothing, unless I see it with my own eyes, when it comes to the internet. You know, it doesn't take a genius to take a photograph and, you know, add something they got on. But, uh, it does stand to reasons, you know, he... J.J. Abrams is always saying how big a Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Wars fan he was as well. And he put that on there too, you know, his little nod towards Star Wars. So, uh, obviously, he later got uh, a job directing on two of the movies. And Star Trek, oh sorry, Star Wars. Although he did in Star Trek as well. But we'll get to that in the next podcast episode. Um, and my, in my mind, J.J. Abrams, great director. He's great at starting stuff. Not so hard at finishing it. And I have to say, Star Trek Into the Darkness is entertaining enough. But I was kind of like, the hell is that? <laughs> at the same time, and of course, we did get a repeat behaviour whenever he went to Star Wars you know, he was good at that, fairly good at that first film, that last film, not so much so uh, back to uh, Star Trek 2009 where we're at we're at the 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 planet right now and uh, I have notes here and I keep losing my place, sorry about that they get to the planet, they, they hear uh, there's like a lightning storm in space, uh, similar to the one that occurred when when Kirk was born. That was the big thing that set up that whole Kelvin thing at the start of the movie. Uh, Kirk breaks the, the protocol of the ship to convince Pike that a distress signal is a trap. Uh, and the Enterprise arrives, they, they find the fleet destroyed, that's where we're just at that. And the Narada, that's Nero's. Romulan ship that's drawn onto Vulcan's core. Uh, the Narada attacks the Enterprise and Pike surrenders. Uh, well, 
Anyway, gets the chance to surrender because Pike recognizes the Enterprise itself, and uh, he actually stops the attack. Um, Pike puts Spock on command whenever he goes to transport across to near ship or gets on the shuttlecraft, flies across, and he promotes Kirk to the first officer. And Kirk and Sulu and the chief engineer Olsen, uh, you need remember Scotty isn't on board Enterprise at this point, they do, they do a space jump which looks amazing on screen whenever they're, you know, the cameras in their face and they're like in that nosedive. I actually seen how that effect was made and it is so, so simply done that it's, it would break your mind when you figure it out. So if you're the sort of person that uh, doesn't like your effects when spoiled for films, I'm not going to spoil it for you here, but trust me, it uh, doesn't take a heck of a lot of cash to actually make that effect yourself. All you need is a big mirror and an iPhone <laughs> and a stepladder. That's all I'm going to say. That's all you need. So they jump onto the, the rig, the chief engineer killed, uh, but... Kirk and Sulu managed to disable the drill, but they're they're not able to stop Nero from launching some red matter into Vulcan's core. This red matter is the stuff that old Spock used in the future to try and create the man-made black hole to save Romulus from this catastrophe and uh, unsuccessfully. So Nero drills a hole to the core, drops a thing down on, makes a man-made black hole in the center of Vulcan so that's just gonna go <coughs> nasty excuse me I just rifted in your face um, the Enterprise managed to save Spock's father and the High Council of Vulcan but before the transporter beam manages to get hold of Spock's mother she falls to her death so you've got two of the main characters in the film here that have uh, lost a parent figure in this first film so there's a connection between the two of them there that they didn't have at the start of the movie they're not friends they don't get along they're enemies in this movie um, Nero tortures Pike to gain access to Earth's defences he's, he's going to head for Earth now after he's wiped out Vulcan uh, while in pursuit Spock maroons Kirk on Delta Vega after Kirk attempts mutiny, he wants to go rescue Pike, but uh, Spock is all up for getting back to headquarters and you know doing stuff by the book. Uh, on the planet, Kirk encounters an older Spock, the one from the future, the original timeline Spock. Leonard Nimoy himself, the legend, is on this snowball uh, placed there by Nero. Turns out. When he went back in time through the original accident, Nero arrived 25 years before Spock did. So when Nero finally got his hands on Spock, blamed Spock for not just the loss of Vulcan or Vulcan, his own home planet, Romulus, he blames him for the death of his wife and family and everything. So he, he put Spock onto this planet. Delta Vega so that he could watch the destruction of Vulcan um, 
So, uh, Kirk, sorry, Kirk meets Spock. Spock kind of starts following the new Kirk and on the memories he has of the old Kirk and the, the Enterprise crew from his timeline. And, uh, I'm not going to get into the time travel stuff. You know, you, it's, you don't want to think time travel too much when it comes to movies because you're thinking to yourself okay in this movie old Spock ends up going back to the past uh, through a mistake he sends a crazy Romulan ship back it uh, changes the past so an alternate timeline uh, how in one sense how is this Spock having memories of a timeline that no longer exists like everything he knew up to that point is now an alternate timeline you know it's skewed on the something completely different so the future he's thinking of is a different future than what he came from but you could say that because he traveled back he's safe from the changes to the timeline just you see what i'm saying here that sort of stuff would absolutely fry your head and the fact that i'm getting over this bloody covid shot isn't helping matters either i'm having serious trouble even focusing on my notes here never mind trying to speak so anyway spock tells kirk you know you and young spock you know, the ship the enterprise and you're you're like flipping family here, you know. You, you need each other to work together, and you know, blah blah blah. You know the score, and uh, they managed to actually on the same planet come across <laughs> Scotty. You just the only thing I would say about uh, this Star Trek movie is a lot of people are very conveniently laid out in the course of the story like almost stupidly easily laid out it's just like you know even the fact that Kirk gets kicked off the Enterprise by Spock onto a planet that they're just passing by and manages to meet the old Spock from the future like literally lands within two or three football fields distance for him and uh, it's not like it's this isn't like the Empire Strikes Back or anything. You, you can use the uh, argument that, you know, Luke Skywalker crash landed in Dagobah and like he was just, you know, within spitting distance of Yoda's hut. But, you know, in that movie at least you could say, well, you know, Yoda's strong with the Force and he is probably sitting there waiting on Luke turning up because Ghost Obi Wan has been. You know, telling Luke one thing, come back and telling Yoda something else. So, of course, he could have used the Force to control that land. Even though it was a crash landing, controlled to where he wanted the ship to end up. But not so much in Star Trek. Um, gosh, I'm going on a lot of tangents tonight. Maybe I should have a COVID shot more often whenever I'm starting to record a podcast. I don't know. Hopefully this is entertaining for you guys. I'm having a blast. <laughs> right, um... Scotty helps him by devising a transwarp beam, allowing them to beam both him and Kirk on board the Enterprise while it's travelling at warp speed. 
um, following the older Kirk's, the older Kirk, the older Spock's advice, Kirk provokes younger Spock into attacking him. See, the, the big thing is, Kirk needs to get in, you know, old Spock says, Kirk, you need to be commanding the Enterprise. And the only way you can get the younger version of me to give up the captain's seat is to get him to show that he's emotionally uh, compromised, emotionally compromised. And of course, you know, Falcons are very, very good at suppressing those emotions. And Kirk is like, you know what, you know, this guy doesn't have an emotion. He's like a robot. And old Spock tells him, look, I've just watched my home planet getting destroyed. I'm emotionally compromised, you know. So he's saying, obviously, the younger version is too. So it doesn't take much when Kirk gets back on board the Enterprise to drive Spock crazy to Spock actually attacks him you know he could quite easily have killed Kirk at this point in the movie um where are we at now in these notes I keep losing my plith this is a disgrace um after talking with Sarek Sarek's on board Enterprise uh younger Spock decides to help Kirk and while the Enterprise hides itself within the gas clouds of Titan Kirk and Spock beam aboard the Narada Kirk fights with Nero uh, and they manage to uh, rescue Pike from the ship uh, Spock leads the Narada away from Earth and sets he's using older Spock's ship from the future to get the Narada to follow him. Uh, Enterprise beams Kirk, Pike and Spock back aboard after Spock sets his ship on a collide, collision course with Nero's ship. A collide course. I need to write down my notes a lot better or type them out on the computer or something because I just can't read my writing. I should have been a doctor. Aged. <laughs> At the end of the film, Kirk offers help the Nero, whenever you know his ship is critically damaged after the uh, the future ship that older Spock had, that's got the the red matter on board, and then when it collides with Narada, it uh, sets this stuff off, and, and another hole, black hole, starts to form in the center of Nero's ship, so it's not going to get trailed in one way or the other. It's going to get actually compressed down and Kirk in a moment the first moment really uh, in this movie you kind of see the real Starfleet coming out on him he offers him offers Nero help to get off the ship but Nero refuses but the thing that got me was there's there's this new sort of humour in these movies in the past like 2009 onwards uh, you know the sort of humour I'm talking about that kind of there was a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer it was like a you know even as far back as Friends you had the same sort of humour like Spock kind of questions Kirk's decision to offer advice to Nero and Kirk is like you know this is a Starfleet thing to do I thought you would appreciate that and 
Spock was like, no, pretty much not. Sort of a thing, you know, it's kind of like sarcastic, can't believe sort of a deal. And uh, that humour, when it works right, it works right. But to come from a Vulcan and uh, the version we have of Spock and this new Kelvin timeline is it is a more emotional version of the Spock we knew from the original series and movies. But uh, that kind of humour at that point just didn't didn't really go in the way that it should have went with me. But uh, again, it's all down to your own perspective. You know, you'll love something that somebody else absolutely detests. But me, I try to not be overcritical about the thing, but I don't want to be blown up so hard that I'm not giving any downsides to anything. Like, I enjoy Star Trek and science fiction in general, but I'm not blind to the, the sort of stuff that just, you know, doesn't really, in my mind, work. But again, if you like it, that's all good. Um, Nero refuses the help, and uh, Kirk gives the order to fire dooming the narada to be consumed in the black hole and the enterprise is just about able to escape from it and at the end of the movie kirk is promoted to captain given command of the enterprise and wild pike is promoted to admiral spock encounters his older self who persuades him to continue serving starfleet you know encourage him to do what feels right for a change instead of what's logical uh, so Spock remains at Starfleet, becoming the first officer under Kirk, <coughs> and they, the Enterprise warps off at the end of the movie, along with uh, older Spock, saying the, the famous line, where no one has gone before, uh, the whole dialogue for that, or the monologue. So, this is a decent movie, don't get me wrong, it's... Uh, it was a gamble. It was an absolute gamble to reboot something like Star Tre Star Trek, and uh, I think I had a lot to do with them eventually trying to do the same with Star Wars. Yeah, but uh, throughout the whole time that Star Trek and Star Wars have existed, like one has helped the other, and some certain way, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, the, the success of the original Star Wars really did help with the, the launch of the Star Trek movies, and, uh, that's true that, <laughs> um, let me see, let's get some numbers for this, uh, uh, uh where are we at now? I had a whole load of stuff written down here as far as numbers for the movie went. Um, Alright. I can't find them. But I know it was a blockbuster hit when it came out. Um, gosh. Why the heck do I keep losing my notes of these things? I remember reading it about 20 minutes ago when I was going through this stuff online. Um, there it is. The budget for the movie was $150 million and the box office for it was $385.7 million. 
that is a shit ton of money and uh yeah it was very very well uh taken in by the critics and the audience both and uh even me like, like okay i'm i'm a lifelong tracky fan i was going to give it a go no matter what and uh the fact that jj Abrams was directing it i as i said at the start enjoyed his stuff pre star trek so i was in there for that and uh the cast very very good they they even managed to get the the same sort of vibe and feeling that the original cast had together as well you know it was just very very well done but the the only downside again for me was peg and uh we'll just leave it at that so anyway that's gonna do it for this little chat on star trek 2009 the reboot this has been a production of coins age media thank you so much for listening